style of forgiveness, starting on page 70. Mm. This is an area that I know has made a huge impact on my life and has the potential to make a huge impact on every one of our lives. So I'm really excited to share it. I want to read the lesson purpose with you. So just follow along. God asks us to forgive in order to make our heart fit to receive his forgiveness. In order for our prayer to be effectual, we must be in the will of God. If we have unforgiveness or offense toward others in our heart, we're not able to receive God's forgiveness. Thus, we will not be in the perfect will of God and will not be open to receive the healing Jesus died to provide us with. The purpose of this lesson is to expose the bait of Satan, the subtle way he captures people into bondage through offense and unforgiveness. This lesson reveals symptoms of unforgiveness or offense and teaches what God's word says about how to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. Now, I just have to give you a little preview. This is not going to be a one part. It's going to be a three part teaching. First part is going to be going to the Bible, looking at what, uh, what the Bible says about forgiveness. The next part next week is going to be teaching on what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. I will be sharing a lot of little nuggets from this book, which we have purchased a bunch of them in case you want to buy it. It's $10. It's called Forgiveness by Rodney Hogue. This is one of the people who we have seen teach at a couple different conferences we've went to. And I believe, for me, this is the best book I've ever read or the best teaching I've ever read on forgiveness. It is excellent. I'm going to be sharing a lot of things from this book, but it's powerful. It's a great book. And so we wanted to have them available for you guys. So that's what I'm going to be doing next week, as well as having kind of a little uh, mini uh, ministry, corporate ministry that has to do with forgiveness, has to do with letting go of stuff that could be holding you captive. So that's next week. The third week, I'm going to be teaching on forgiving yourself. Condemnation, unworthiness, guilt, forgiving yourself. So this is going to be a three-part teaching. But I have to tell you, I had a talk with God yesterday morning. I was reading these scriptures and preparing for this. And there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible that say, forgive so that you may be forgiven. We're going to read a couple of them tonight. And I was reading those and, and you know, kind of meditating on what I was going to teach. And, and I, I stopped. And I do this a lot. And I recommend you do this too because it's so cool. I stopped and I got my, my prayer journal out and I wrote a question to God. I can just ask him. But a lot of times I like to write it because then I can write what he, answer, what he gives me. And I forgot to bring my prayer journal, but I remember it because it was a big deal. So I wrote my question. My question was, God, I know that when you died on that cross, you forgave all of our sins, past, present, and future. It's done once and for all. It's done. So why in the Bible, why does your word say, why do you say that in order to receive your forgiveness, we have to forgive? Help me to understand that. And then he answered me. And this is what he said. He said, Cindy, you know that I want everybody saved. You know that I died for salvation, right? I says, yeah. And he says, but is everybody saved? Does everybody receive my my salvation? I said, well, no. They have to choose to receive it. And then he said, and you know that it's my will to heal, don't you? I said, oh, yeah, I definitely know it's your will to heal, Jesus. And he said, but does everybody receive healing? Well, no, not everybody receives it. We have to have faith and say, yes, I receive it. Not everybody receives it. He, he provided it, but not everybody has received it. And then he says the same thing, way, same way with forgiveness. He said, forgiveness is done. I've done my part. It's completed but my people have to be ready to receive it. And in order to receive it, their heart has to be 
ready to receive it and forgiving others prepares your heart to receive his forgiveness so many times i'm going to be talking about this in depth but so many times when we have offense or unforgiveness in our heart we've built a wall and it might be even more than that it might be roots roots of bitterness that have to be rooted out in order to receive the full benefits of forgiveness that Jesus has already completely paid the price for with his blood. So that's a preface. That's right straight from God. That's not from me. That's from him. You might want to just take that and just take time to think about that through the week. Ask him yourself. Okay. Would you actually don't need to open your Bible because it's already written. This is Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15. And the reason I put it in your Bible study is because it's from the Message Bible. And many of us don't carry that Bible with us. This is the scripture that comes right at the end of the Lord's Prayer. It's the scripture where the apostles asked Jesus how to pray. And he said, pray like this. And then he says the Lord's Prayer. And then at the very end, he's, he adds another line that we don't usually say when we say the Lord's Prayer. It's like the scripture after that. And it says that you, you need to forgive so that he can forgive. But this is the message version. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Notice it says you cut yourself off. It doesn't say that God cuts you off. It says you cut yourself off from God's part. So what I would like to do in foundation two, I would like to look at what forgiveness is according to the Bible, according to the way Jesus forgives. Now, what I've done is I've just taken a concordance, which is uh, a book that helps you to understand the original word. You, you look it up in the, um, this was in the Greek, so it's New Testament, so it's in the Greek, and it tells you the meaning of the word. And this is what forgiveness is. This is how God forgives. Got lots of different um, uh, meanings, and I'm going to kind of go out of order from your book. But the first I want to talk about is to give up resentment. To give up resentment and to let the offense drop. Instead of holding on to resentment, instead of saying, I have a right to carry this resentment, you choose to let it go. You choose to let it drop. This is how God forgives us. The third one is to release. And I want to add a few more words to that. To release that person from the harm done to you. So if there's somebody that's hurt you in a, in a whatever way, it might be an offense, a small thing that has been built up over time. It might be a great, big, huge thing. But to release means you release them from the harm that was done. We're going to talk about this stuff in great detail next week. The next one is to acquit. This is what God does with us. He sets us free of the charge. It's like in the court of law. If you're acquitted, it doesn't mean you didn't do the crime. It means you're released from the charge. And that's how God forgives us. The key is we're supposed to forgive the same way that God forgives. So our part is to acquit, to release the offender from the charge to release them from the charge to remit to cancel the penalty or the debt the debt that that you feel there is between you and the person that offended you to release to cancel the penalty or the debt you could even look at that in the sense of of finances if you cancel somebody's debt they don't owe it to you anymore they don't owe you the debt they don't owe you the money that's one of the meanings of forgiveness is to cancel the debt. To recall, to annul it by taking back. Or uh, then, it, then it defines to annul. I like this one. To make it legally void, to declare that it's void, 
null and void. That's what God does with us. When he forgives us, he said, null and void. It's voided out. Anything you did, Cindy, voided out. It's canceled out. You're set free from the charge. I release you. That's how God forgives us. He doesn't hold on to it and keep a list. I used to think that when I went to heaven someday, there was going to be a list of everything I'd done wrong. No. He doesn't see. It's gone. It's been completely removed from me. When I go to heaven someday, there's, there's, there's going to be a list of what I've done and not what I haven't done. In, in the good sense. There's going to be a list of... of, of <laughs> the people that I've loved, the people that I've um, done good things for. That's what I'm going to be judged with. Not sin. Not sin. It's been let go. It's been, there's no charge. I'm not guilty. And I never will be guilty. Not today, not when I die. Not yesterday. Amen. Amen. Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3? Colossians chapter 3. That's how God forgives. And I want to show you what this says. This is one scripture. There are many scriptures that say something very similar to this. Colossians 3.13. Be gentle and forbearing with one another. And if one has a difference a grievance or complaint against another, readily pardoning each other. Even as the Lord has freely forgiven you, so must you also forgive. So the point I'm making is that in the same way that we are forgiven, we are to forgive. So that definition you just looked at, the qualities of forgiveness, that's what God says we are to do when we forgive. Okay, would you please, we're going to look at a couple scriptures where Jesus was speaking about forgiveness. The first one I'd like to look at is Mark 11. Mark 11. This is the scripture about faith. The prayer of faith. Followed directly by forgive. You're going to see in your Bible study, I've, I've uh, noted verses 25 and 26, but I want to back up two verses verse 22 so jesus answered and said to them have faith in god for assuredly i say to you whoever says to this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done he will have whatever he says therefore i say to you whatever things you ask when you pray believe that you receive them and you will have them What's the next word? And. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. It is not a coincidence that the scripture that talks about the prayer of faith, that talks about speaking to the mountain, that talks about receiving what you ask for when you pray is directly followed by the word and. It's a conjunction. It, is, it connects two scriptures. And when you stand praying, forgive so that your Father who is in heaven may, may also forgive you. Again, I believe that it prepares our heart to receive his forgiveness and the healing manifestation as well. I'm going to hold off my testimony for a little bit longer, but you're going to see where this scripture played an immense impact on what I, how I believe I received healing of cancer. Because God showed me the connection when I was in the middle of cancer. Let me, I'm going to hold on because I don't want to get ahead of myself. But... They're connected. They're very closely connected. Okay, Luke 17, verse 3 and 4. I'm going to do a couple more scriptures, then we're going to stop and talk. 17, verse 3 and 4. 
Pay attention and always be on your guard. Am I in the right one? Yes, I am. Um, Let me start again. Pay attention and always be on your guard, looking out for one another. If your brother sins or misses the mark, solemnly tell him so and reprove him. And if he repents, feel sorry for having sinned, forgive him. And even if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, I am sorry, you must forgive him. Give up resentment and consider the offense as recalled and annulled. I read from the Amplified, which basically takes those words and um, defines them. Notice the same definition that I gave to you about having it recalled, having it annulled, letting it go, giving up resentment. That's the definition that's in here. And God says, no matter how many, well, it says seven times, seven, up to seven times. If it happens seven times in a day, give up the resentment, let it go. So our master Jesus tells us if somebody sins against us repeatedly, what are we to do? Forgive them repeatedly. I want to go to a parable now. Will you turn with me to Matthew 18? Starting with verse 21. And my Bible heading says, The parable of the unforgiving servant. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start with verse 21. Then Peter came up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how many times may my brother sin against me and I forgive him and let it go? As many as up to seven times? Remember the scripture we just read. Jesus said, if somebody hurts you seven times, to forgive them seven times, right? We just read that. But Jesus answered him, I tell you, not up to seven times, but 70 times seven. So what is Jesus telling us right there? Yeah, continuously. And then Jesus, um, and then Jesus answered him. Okay, I already read that. Therefore, and here's the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a human king who wished to settle accounts with his attendants. When he began the accounting, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, probably about $10 million. Now, think about Jesus' day, 2,000-plus years ago. And he used this number that was so crazy big, they probably couldn't even begin to fathom it, kind of like our national debt. We can't even begin to fathom how huge that is. The number here is $10 million. That's why I wanted the Amplified, because I wanted you to see how much um, 10,000 talents is. That's a lot of money, even today. And because this man couldn't pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and everything that he possessed and payment to be made. So the attendant fell on his knees, begging him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And his master's heart was moved with compassion, and he released him and forgave him, canceling the debt. Okay, I want to stop right there for a minute before we go on. So what did the good king do? Canceled the debt. He forgave him. Same words we've been using, canceling the debt, forgiving. He forgave him. He canceled the debt. Was that a big debt? Yes. He didn't have to pay it. It wasn't like, okay, I will, you know, let you not go to jail, but you have to pay back your debt. No. He completely canceled it. Free. Free of, free of debt. Free of the charge. Completely forgiven. I want to make the comparison right now with Jesus. Our Jesus carried all of our debt. Everybody's debt, past, present, future, every bit of it to the cross and died to cancel our debt, to forgive us completely the immensity of our debt. If you could add up everybody's debt in all of history, everybody's sin in all of history, past, present, future, forever and forever and forever, That is the greatness, the immensity of the debt. 
That's a $10 million debt. Way more than that. That's like our, our nation's debt times hundreds. He paid it completely and forgave us and canceled it out. Okay, now I'm going to continue to read, starting with verse 28. But that same attendant, as he went out, found one of his fellow attendants who owed him 100 denarii, which is about $20. Big difference between $10 million and $20. And he caught him by the throat and said, pay what you owe. So his fellow attendant fell down and begged him earnestly, give me time and I will pay you all. But he was unwilling. And he went out and had him put in prison until he should pay the debt. When the fellow attendants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told everything that had taken place to their master. Then his master called them, called him and said to him, You contemptible and wicked attendant, I forgave and canceled all that great debt of yours because you begged me to. And should you not have had pity and mercy on your fellow attendant as I had pity and mercy on you? And in wrath, his master turned him over to the torturers, the jailers, till he should pay all that he owed. So also my heavenly father will deal with every one of you if you do not freely forgive your brother from your heart his offenses. So the second half of this parable is about the the person who had just been forgiven of all of his debt, and he refused to forgive the small debt, the $20 debt, when he had been forgiven the $10 million debt. Yeah. (laughs) And I compare that to every one of us. Every one of us has, uh, has been offended. Every one of us have been hurt. Some of us in degrees that are so, so immense. But no matter how great the offense, no matter how great the damage, the hurt, compared to what Jesus did, compared to the debt he paid, it's a $20 one compared to his $10 million cancellation. And what this scripture says, it's kind of one of those ones that's like, oh gosh, that hurts. And it's another one of those that, God, I need to ask you some questions about this because it's kind of confusing with knowing the goodness and the compassion of Christ. But it talks about being turned over to the torturers. What I'm going to teach next week is how we hold ourselves captive. That's what this thing about being in jail is. We hold ourselves in this place of being tortured, being in captivity. When we are tied to somebody, that's what happens when we're in unforgiveness. We're tied to them and we're held captive because of our bitterness, because of our unforgiveness our, or the offense that we're choosing to hold on to. And so when, when Jesus said, you know, he released this person to the torturers, that when we refuse to forgive, that's what happens. We are in this position of opening the door to being held captive, being in the position of, if you want to say, being tortured demonically. It's one of those open doors where the enemy can get a foothold into our lives. And I don't want a foothold in my life with the enemy. I'm going to share a couple more scriptures, and I'm going to share my testimony. So would you please turn with me right now? Um, Well, first of all, let's read the questions, foundation four. Who does unforgiveness actually hurt? Yes, it doesn't necessarily. It might hurt the other person a little bit, but it primarily hurts us. When we are holding on to unforgiveness, we are being hurt. I've heard this analogy, and it's a good one. It's like you taking poison and expecting the other person to be hurt. Unforgiveness is like you ingesting poison and expecting the other person to be hurt or poisoned. That's not what happens. You're the one that's poisoned when you take the poison. What is the truth? We know that the... Uh, unforgiveness hurts yourself. The truth is that we're the one. 
We are the one who's hurt through our own unforgiveness. I guess that was the same thing, question one and two, but that's okay. Would you turn with me to Ephesians 6? Uh, This scripture really helped for me to see what's going on in this whole process so that it was easier to let go of hurt. This is Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We're not actually wrestling against the person. We're wrestling or fighting against the the enemy through that person my husband likes to say that sometimes we're like puppets you know and and somebody just gets on our nerves or offends us and it might be that you know something that's the enemy knows our our hot spots and that is in our way and it just explodes within us or you take it inside and internalize it and it becomes something that is um uh a root yeah root in your heart or bitterness in your heart so it's very often the demonic trying to get your goad it's a subtle bait of the enemy there's a wonderful book called the bait of satan it's by john bevere yeah and it's all about and that's what i'm going to talk about next it's all about how he subtly subtly causes division unforgiveness offense bitterness because it's a way that he can get in there and get a foothold yeah so that we aren't receiving the full benefits that god has for us in the abundant life that jesus came to pay the price for okay so what i would like to do now is share a little bit about my testimony before i go into foundation five foundation five is about offense unforgiveness with huge huge hurts in your life is really clear you don't miss it if somebody has um if there's a feud in your life if there has been um a, a break in a relationship you know it offense is much subtler when i was fighting cancer i already shared the mark scripture about faith and praying in faith and then where it says and when you stand praying forgive when i was fighting cancer i read that scripture every day it was one of those scriptures that i was speaking out loud and feeding my myself with to build my faith up to receive the scripture that says speak to the mountain so i would read that scripture every day out loud and i would just meditate on the scripture and i loved it because it said i was going to receive it says, if you believe in your heart, Cindy, that that cancer's gone, you speak to that cancer, tell it to go. If you believe it in your heart, you're gonna, it's a done deal. Believe and you'll receive. Believe and receive. Love that scripture. And then I always read that word and. <laughs> and when you stand praying. And whenever I would read that, I had a check in my heart. I had a check, like my conscience. Was, there was something there and I didn't know what it was. And I didn't think I had anything. But I kept getting, kept getting the check, kept getting it every time I would read that. Finally, one day, I asked God, (laughs) duh. I said, Father God, what are you trying to tell me? And as soon as I asked him, he showed me. There were actually three different things. One of them was a major one. And it was an offense that I had been holding for years and years unknowingly between my sister and myself. And to make a long story short, um, uh, my sister is a very outspoken person. She's very um, outgoing. She's beautiful person, beautiful personality. But what she she doesn't she doesn't filter, you know. So she speaks very. She just speaks what's in her mind comes out of her mouth. And I'm not like that, you know. I usually am pretty introspective, and before I say something, I think about what it's how it's going to be received, and you know, kind of careful about how I word things. So in that sense, we're very different. But my sister and I were very, very close when we were kids. I looked up to her. She was really outgoing and popular and had all kinds of boyfriends. And, you know, I really, really, we got along great. 
until we got married and had kids. And then because of my sister's um, personality, she was, um, she talked about parenting and about uh, discipline and about uh, everything under the sun, about parenting. And it was completely different than the way Kent and I parented. Not that it was wrong. All of our kids grew up beautiful. We all have grown kids and they're all great kids. But at that time, I internalized as her telling me that I wasn't doing a good job parenting. She never said that. So I took offense. She didn't even know I was taking offense because I didn't even say anything. So she would talk about parenting. I would take it in. She would talk. I would take it in and not say anything. She would talk. I take it in. And what I was doing unknowingly was building a wall of offense. The word offense in the old King James is spelled O-F-F-E-N-C-E. It's like a fence. And that's what I was doing. I was building a fence between her and I, plank by plank. And I didn't even know it. We had, distant, we had grown distant as we grew older. And she lived in Colorado and I lived here. So it was really easy. We had distance in space and we had distance in our relationship. And I didn't even know it until I asked God and he showed me. He says, you have an offense against your sister. You never talked to her. And as soon as he showed me, I realized, yeah, I do. I don't really like my sister. I don't really want to be with her. I don't really want to talk to her. So as soon as he showed me, as soon as he revealed that to me, I made a choice to do something about it. I, first of all, I had a death sentence. I had a stage four cancer diagnosis and God kept showing me that this was connected. This answered prayer was connected to forgiveness. So I wrote my sister a long letter with love. It was really careful the way I worded it. And she received it so well. Unknowingly, she had written a very similar letter to me and, never, and had never mailed it because she knew that there was something going on, didn't really know what it was. So as soon as I took the step to ask my sister's forgiveness and to release her from the debt, from the harm that she had done to me. As soon as I made the choice to do that, I had healing, in, inner healing. I had great inner healing. And I had reconciliation with my sister. So all of that wall just came tumbling down. And I just have to tell you how good God is. She lived in Colorado, so I didn't really have a close relationship. And I didn't even know much about what was going on in her life. But what I learned as soon as, I recon as, soon as we reconciled was that she um, was very involved in her church and she led the youth. She led the uh, like teenage high school kids religious education. So she went to a lot of conferences. And in the midst of, of the, the studies that she had done, she had developed a very personal relationship with God. She read the Bible every day. Now, we came from a Catholic family, and we just didn't do that. But my sister had started to grow this relationship. She read the Bible every day. She had a prayer time with God every day. She was spirit-filled. And I didn't know that about my sister. So when our relationship was restored, I had something that I needed. I had not only my sister's and my relationship restored, I had somebody who was in agreement with me, who had a relationship with God, who was completely in agreement with me for my healing. She was one of the only people, she was the only person on my side of the family that said, Cindy, I'm believing for a miracle and nothing but. You are completely healed. She stood on God's word with me with steadfast faith that same bold aggressive sister was now being bold and aggressive for my healing it was awesome it was awesome and then the icing on the cake she lived in colorado all those years in may she moved back to michigan so i was diagnosed in january i was all clear in july she moved to michigan in during that season and she now has a house on the same lake that we go to all the time in the summer. So I see her all the time now. And we've got a different, we've got a new relationship. She's still the same sister. <laughs> but we've got a new relationship. Because when I let all that go, we, it was repaired. It was healed. 
my heart was healed. So let's look at what offense is, because I think this is something I just want you to know. I just want you to know. So will you turn with me to Luke chapter 1? I'm sorry, Luke 17, 1. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. Mm -hmm. The part of that that I really want to focus on is offenses are going to come. Jesus said it's impossible that no offenses should come. They're going to come. You're going to have opportunity for offense all the time. Every day we have the opportunity for offense. It might be at the grocery store. It might be at work. It might be in your family. But you're going to have opportunity to be offended. I want to show you an example. This isn't in your Bible study, so you might want to add this. It's Matthew 13. I want to show you a great example of Jesus. Um, It's at the end of chapter 13, starting with verse 55 or 54. And coming to his own country, Nazareth, He taught in their synagogue so that they were amazed with bewildered wonder and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? So here's Jesus back in his hometown, teaching, preaching, laying hands on the sick, seeing them healed. This magnificent authority. And then they look at him and they say, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And do not all his sisters live here among us? Where then did this man get all this? And they took offense at him. They were repelled and hindered from acknowledging his authority and caused to stumble. So this man was teaching. Jesus was teaching with authority. And they couldn't receive from him. They were hindered because of their offense. That's what an offense is. They were caused to stumble. They were hindered from the amazing greatness of Jesus. Yeah. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. And he did not do many works of power there because of their unbelief, their lack of faith in the divine mission of Jesus. Their lack of faith was caused by their offense. Let me say that again. Their lack of faith was a result of their offense. Offense breaks stuff down. They didn't receive healing. He, Jesus couldn't do miracles. Not many. Because of their unbelief. Because of their offense. They were caused to stumble. They couldn't acknowledge his his authority and his greatness. They saw him as the kid who grew up in their city. How could he do that? They were offended. The definition of offense. The Greek word is scandalon. Offense. The natural, the, the physical meaning of that word is the trigger of a trap. So think of a trap, and the only one that uh, I'm just going to visualize right now and speak about is a mouse trap, the old-fashioned kind, with the, the thing that flops over and kills the mouse. The mouse takes the bait, it goes bam, and it, their little neck is, and there's blood all over. <laughs> Probably too graphic. I saw that in my kitchen last winter. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> little mouse. The little mouse takes the bait from the trigger, right? If he doesn't take the bait, he's not going to get hurt. We're going to go there in a minute. But the word offense is that trigger of the trap, okay? In the spiritual sense, it is an injury, an insult, a mistreatment that becomes a stumbling block in our lives. So... An offense is that thing like my sister did where she talked about parenting and I was insulted. And it became a stumbling block in my life with my sister. 
It broke our relationship. It hinders our relationship with others. And as a result, it hinders our relationship with God because our heart has this hardness on it. We have roots of bitterness in there. I had that wall thing built up. And that wall thing wasn't just between Mayan and I, my sister, her name is Mayan. It wasn't between her and I, just, it was also between God and I, unknowingly. So here are a couple of facts about offense. The first one is that it's an open door to the enemy. It's one of his tricks. If he can cause division, he keeps us from the benefits. He keeps us from from living to our full potential and and the God being glorified. He doesn't want God to be glorified. He wants, you know, he's he's a loser. He messed up way long ago. And his his plan is to cause division. This is one of his plans, to cause division so that we don't receive or so that there are issues in our life. So it's an open door. It provides one of those footholds. I want to show you a scripture. This is 2 Corinthians. I'm going to open my Bible to it. Why don't you open your Bible too? Because you're probably going to want to mark this one in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And this one isn't written in your Bible study, so you might want to add it. I want to show you that the Bible says that it causes an open door to the enemy. I'm going to start with verse 10. This is Paul talking. And he's, he's speaking to the church of Corinth. But remember, every word that is in the Bible is breathed by God. It's inspired by God. Paul's talking to a church. The Holy Spirit is talking through him to the church. And this is what he says. If you forgive anyone anything, I too forgive that one. And what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sakes in the presence and with the approval of Christ the Messiah. And this is why. There's a comma. To keep Satan from getting the advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his wiles and intentions. So Paul's telling the church, forgive, I forgive too, because we're going to keep Satan from getting his way. We're going to keep Satan from getting advantage over us. We're not ignorant of his wiles and intentions. We're We're not ignorant. He's been revealed. That's what I'm doing today, guys, revealing the bait of Satan so that you can say, oh, I'm not taking that bait. I'm not going to be that little mouse on the trap taking the bait and getting my head squished. No way. No way. Fact number two. Offense itself is not deadly if it stays on the trap. Don't take the bait. But if we pick it up and consume it and feed on it, then we become offended. That's what I did with my sister. I took the bait I fed on it. I ate it. I didn't even tell her about it. I just kept taking it in, taking it in, taking it in. And this is what happened to me. Often this happens so subtly and so gradually that you don't even realize you've taken the bait. That's why when I read that scripture every day, I didn't know what, what was going on in my heart. Because I didn't, it was so subtle, I didn't even know I had it. We're so focused on the wrong that was done to us, we're blinded to the fact that we've been entrapped by the enemy. That's what I had done. I had taken the bait. But we don't have to. (laughs) When this is exposed, when the enemy's junk is exposed and we recognize it, then we can make the choice not to take it. Ken and I are in the lives that we're living now. We still have the opportunity for offense. And there are times when, when he, and I'm just going to be, I'm, I'm sorry, babe, I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to tell on you. There are times when Kent will just explode over something that's so stupid. You know, like, like, like I don't know, something not going right. Like, he gets really frustrated if something, like, when we're coming here, if the camera's not working or if the, we forget something at home. You know, he doesn't do it on purpose, but he might forget something and he gets really mad at himself or gets mad at me or something. And, and I say, honey, that's the enemy. Don't take his bait. It's not worth it. You know, we'll, we'll do. We're okay. 
And Kent has been getting better and better and better because we talk about it. And, he, and I want him to talk to me about stuff like that too. But we have the opportunity to take the bait. Or we can say, it's not worth it. I'm not going to take the bait. It's not, the, it's not a big deal. I'm just going to let it go. Yeah, the weakness of the flesh. We all have it. But we, we can grow in overcoming it. Wow, that's good, Donna. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or ten months, or forty years. That's really good. Yes. So I want to repeat that so that it's on the so that it's on the audio, and what Donna said is that. What she has been, what she's done that's been successful is when she has the opportunity for offense, she says it out loud. She says, I choose not to take that offense. I choose not to take your bait. I choose not to do it. And she said over time, she's growing the habit of taking a breath and not taking the bait. And that the feelings get better, right? Instead of feeling, it's easier. You don't have the... the you know, where your, your flesh wants to jump at it as much. <laughs> it still happens. Okay, number three, the third fact. Seeds of offense, when you take them and take them like I did, sprout into roots of bitterness or hard-heartedness. That's what happened with me. And that's where I believe when God was showing me with, you know, with, the, with, the, with my conscience being so stirred, I think he was showing me I had one of those roots that needed to be rooted out for my heart to be ready to receive his forgiveness and then the healing that resulted. So they can, they can, the seeds of offense can sprout into roots of bitterness. We all have these little seeds, but it's when you take them and take them and take them and take them that they develop roots of bitterness. Okay, this is the last thing I would like to share tonight. We're going to stop with foundation six is going to be our last piece, and then we're going to finish next week. Um, these are some symptoms of offense that I believe are really valuable to help us to, like I said, I didn't know. If I would have known these symptoms, it would have helped me to um, be more aware. Of course, Father God will tell you if you ask him to. But these are three symptoms of offense. Number one, are you angry? One of the symptoms of offense is that when you're with that person who has offended you, you have something inside that's just angry. You don't even really know why. And that was huge in my life between my sister and I before I let go of it and before I released her from the harm that was done to me. I, every time I was with her, I didn't, she didn't have to say one word and I'd be angry at her. I had this thing just seething in me every time we were together. We'd get together for Christmas or something. And the whole time I was with her, I just had this thing in me that was just like, ugh. It was nasty. It was awful. I didn't enjoy being with her. I didn't want to be anywhere near her. That was a symptom of offense. I didn't even know it. That's one of the symptoms. (laughs) Number two, are you keeping score? In my case with my sister, It was scorekeeping about parenting. Well, you parent like this, she would tell me. And then in my heart or my mind or Kent and I would talk, well, we do it this way. We we think she's wrong. We do it this way. You know, and we, we were keeping score. We were comparing ourselves to one another and keeping score. So are you keeping score? In this, in the case of a husband and wife, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. You know, um, you know, I cooked, I cooked last night. I cooked the night before. You know, we keep score. When are you going to cook? Or, you know, uh, you know, I did this, I did this. Or, um, you know, a football Sunday <laughs> comes along and Cindy's got lots to do. Of course, I could wait till Monday because I'm retired now. But, um, you know, what are you doing watching TV all afternoon? You know, so we can keep score. Keeping score, another sense of offense. And we have the opportunity for offense, right, every day. But we can choose to take it or not take it. 
<laughs> Don't you love football Sunday? <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. I want to show you a scripture. Would you turn with me to Luke 15? Luke 15. This is the parable of the prodigal son. But I'm not going to read the whole thing. I want to go to the very end and start with verse 28. We're going to look at the elder son, the good boy. Verse 28. But the elder brother was angry with deep-seated wrath and resolved not to go in. Then his father came out and began to plead with him. Here comes the scorekeeping. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me as much as a little kid that I might revel and feast and be happy and make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours arrived, who has devoured your estate with immoral women, you've killed for him that wheat, fat, and calf. He's keeping score. He's offended. He's very offended. So keeping score, comparing yourself, is another symptom of offense. And the third one is a huge one, and that's, are you thinking and talking about it all the time? If it's on your mind, if you're talking about it all the time, whatever that thing is, and you're just rehearsing it over and over and over, it's a sign of offense. It's a symptom of offense. Venting. That's what the world calls it. Venting. Okay. That's really a lousy place to stop. <laughs> but I'm going to stop. Kathy. That's a great question. Um, it depends on the situation. There are times when you don't want to... to um, there, there's a boundary that needs to be there. Next week, what I'm going to teach on is, first of all, um, some very awesome things from that book and from God's Word that talk about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. And that will help you to de determine like, when it would be important for you to go to the person and when, it, when you shouldn't. Because no, it isn't necessary. And the second thing we're going to do is how to forgive. First of all, what is forgiveness? What it isn't? And then how do I go through the process of letting go? How do I go through the process of releasing that person from harm? How do I do that? So we're going to, first of all, I'm going to teach about it, and then we're going to do it. There, we're going to be ministering next week. It's going to be a, like a healing meeting. There will be a little bit of teaching, but the most of it is going to be um, ministry, letting go of stuff. This is, I'm going to just give you some homework for this week. I want you to talk to God at home, just like I did. I've shown you some symptoms of offense, and just go to God and say, God, is there anybody that I need to forgive? Is there any offense that I'm holding on to? Do I have any bitterness? Maybe you already know it. Maybe you don't. And then you can absolutely, you don't have to wait a week. You can absolutely say, okay, I choose to forgive. And then next week come and we'll teach on it and we'll minister as well. That's a good question. Okay.